Welcome to the Hillside Podcast. We trust that you'll be impacted by listening to today's message. Good morning, am I on? Yes, yes. How are you guys? Are you well? Everybody's very quiet and somber. Imagine how I feel. And um, just, just to let you know who I am, just to give you some background, I am a local Hillcrest dude. Uh, went to school at Hillcrest Primary, went to school at Hillcrest High, and I actually got a qualification afterwards as well. It was amazing. <laughs> Back in the day, they didn't have swimming pools. They hardly had a rugby team. And um, it was, it, it's been an absolute, this has been my home. Uh, I think we moved here when I was six. Uh, my folks, they still live here. I'm the only one that doesn't live in Hillcrest. They all live at the, in Southern Avenue at the bottom of Hilltop Road. And uh, it really is a delight to be back in this space. But more than that, uh, I'm a friend of this house, and that's why I'm here. I don't represent anybody or anything other than I'm your friend. And I'm a friend of Richard and Jill, a friend of Richard and of Roger and Tanya, and I'm going to get that wrong. I'm telling you now, Roger, Roger Richard, and, and, uh, and a friend of this house. Really am a friend of this house as... As was said earlier, actually, we, this, this place was planted out of Glenridge, and we at Glenridge consider Hillside as part of our inheritance. And we see your success as actually our success, and we want to do everything we can to make sure that you're, you're, you do what God's called you to do and become what God's called you to become. And so in many respects, that's actually why I'm here, and that's why we are here and why I have... Um, participating in this, in this big moment for you guys. Before, I, before we move on, I wanted to say this about Richard and, and Jill. And obviously, I've known Richard and Jill for many, many years. And uh, Richard and Jill, you have been an inspiration to me at so many different levels. Your teaching and your foundational teaching gift, which I believe has been put into this church, has blessed me profoundly. Your, your, your prophetic in, uh, intent, your prophetic, uh, your will to engage with the prophetic, your, your ability to open your arms to actually what's a little bit dodgy in many re- respects around the prophetic. You've said, no, God, we want that in the midst of our, we don't want that to be on the fringes of what we're doing. We want that to be in the middle of what we're doing. I've loved your wisdom. I've sat under your teaching many times, both of you. And I've loved the wisdom that you've laid into my life. And I'm saying this for me because what I'm, whatever's gone into me, I can bet it's gone into this church. And I know it's gone into this church. Your ability to have dreams for schools, whether they're preschools, or whether they're schools of the supernatural, or whatever it is, you have said, actually, no, we want to engage the community, and we want to do that well. It's been an inspiration. Your creativity is this church was birthed in creativity. Glenridge was birthed in creativity. I sent an email to Terry and Linda Foshay this week to ask, Terry, what did you see? What did you have in your heart when you planted this church? And he said, actually, all we wanted to do was build a family that impacts the world and become this family that follows Jesus, that loves Jesus, that serves each other, and actually impacts the community in which we live. And I don't believe any of that has changed because actually from the handover from Terry to Rich 
Nothing's changed. Actually, that's the call of God over this church, amongst other things. Your desire for freedom, I asked Rich, Rich and Jill, what would you, if you had one word to say what you would describe Hillside as, what would it be? And he said this, freedom. Freedom. This is a church of freedom. This is a church of family. And I believe this is a church of faith. Because part of Richard and Jill's legacy here was actually the faith to build this building. And it's not about a building, it's about the faith to build this building. And actually their, their hearts and their capacity extended trust in God and said, come on guys, let's go on an impossible journey and let's build this building, which has now become a home to many, many people and will become a home to many more people and will become a base from which to send many more people into the commission that God has over their lives. Rich and Jill, I think of Brazil. When I think of you, I think of Brazil. And I don't know when last you were in Brazil, but you've got a heart for the nations. And, uh, but, and when, I, when I think of nations and I think of you, I think of Brazil and the many, many trips that I know that you went on all those years ago. You've invested your life and your strength and your effort, your best efforts into the kingdom of God, whether it be at home or whether it be away. And for that, you to be commended. And I wonder if we can just, can't just take another moment to just stand and give these guys a massive round of applause. Thank you. And thank you for what you're going to continue to do for the kingdom. And thank you for the impact that you're going to continue to have in my life, in Heather's life, and our lives, and the community's lives, and Durban's life, and wherever you, wherever God takes you. 22 years of leadership is an incredible thing. It's a phenomenal thing, in fact. They say the life of a pastor in America is four years. You've done 22 there's something profound about that. Well done. Absolutely well done. I want to I talk this morning out of Joshua chapter 5, if you wouldn't mind turning there. And uh, this handover or this transition has been a difficult one. You can't stand up here and say, well, listen, it's kind of fun and roses and pom-poms and it's been a difficult transition. But friends, you know the phenomenal thing about this is that actually transition or a change in leadership doesn't mean a change of inheritance. It doesn't mean a change of destiny or change of purpose. It just means a change in apparatus to get to that destiny. And Raj and Tans, sorry to call you apparatus. We are the donkeys that carry the glory of God into the presence of the world. And actually a change of leadership simply means that actually there's another donkey required. <laughs> yeah. A change in leadership means 
that God has another portion of ground in which you are to take as a church. And he's gonna give you some more donkeys to do it. A small, simple people that are not extraordinary in their own right, but serve an extraordinary God that has an extraordinary call over their lives with an extraordinary love from the Father to do what he's called you to do. And friends, a change in leadership doesn't mean a change in destiny. It doesn't mean a change in purpose because I believe this, that this church was put in place 27 years ago. The heart of God for this place was put in place 27 years ago and that hasn't changed. And the the, the Bible says the call of God is without repentance. So it means it doesn't matter how much you mess up, the call of your life stays the same. And you've got to find your way back in Jesus, back to that call, so that you can walk into the call of God in your lives. And the same applies, I believe, for the life of the church. So let's have a look at this Joshua chapter 5. Joshua, for those, uh, many of you will know who Joshua is. Joshua was the, the leader that led after, after Moses. And uh, what happens is, remember this, Joshua was there with Moses on the other side of the Red Sea in Egypt. So Joshua, by the time he gets to this age now, this stage, he's 80 odd years old. He's seen the glory of God with the with the, with the with all the, the plagues and all that happened in, in Egypt, he's seen a people, a whole nation cross a, an impossible task of getting across the Red Sea. He's, got, he's, he's gone into the place where actually he's received the law. He's heard God. He's been in the presence of God as Moses was receiving the law. He's, he's been in this place. He went then goes on a trip into the promised land to spy it out. He comes back and says, listen, this is good to go. And the rest of them say it's not. And he's like disappointed. How can you say that actually there's good land here? And what happens is God doesn't let them in because of the faithless hearts of 10 men and only him and Caleb had, had hearts of faith. And what happens, so this is, this is this guy. He then wanders around the desert for 40 years with these dudes. And that generation dies up and their children stand up and those are the ones that God is now gonna take into the land. You see, friends, if you're gonna take ground, we've gotta have hearts of Joshua. And I believe in Joshua chapter five, there's three very important things that we've got to learn if you're gonna step into the ground that God has for you, whatever that future looks like. And uh, so this is, this is where we are now. So they've, crossed the, they've now crossed the Jordan. They've got Jericho in their sights. Jericho's over there. They've been eyeing out Jericho from the other side of the river, thinking, how are we gonna do this? Us bunch of plonkers, how are we gonna get through these guys? And actually, so if God says, no, don't worry, and as their toes hit the side of the river, the river stop, backs up, the flood stops, they cross over. They're thinking, wow, this is amazing, this is awesome. But now they've got a job to do because they've stepped into the land and they've got this incredible job, this incredible campaign that they've got to, they've got to work out in their lives and in the lives of, of this people that is leading so that actually this, this land can be God's land. And this is what happens now in Joshua chapter 5. Now, they, now when all the Amorite kings west of Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up Jordan before the Israelites until we had crossed over, their hearts melted and they no longer had courage to face the Israelites. So remember that. These guys on the other side have heard and seen God's with these guys, the river backed up, 
God's with them, their health, their, their hearts melted. It's like if there was ever a moment to go in there and smash the enemy, this would be it. This would be it. And this is what it says in verse two. At that time, at that time, when their hearts were melting, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. This is not a great military campaign. <laughs> Lord, we got it. You've told us we're gonna take these guys on. Now, actually, before you go there, take out the knives, boys. And they're thinking, hang on, what's going on here? You see, a whole generation, let me carry on reading because otherwise you can think I'm lying to you. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Haraleth, which means hell of the foreskins, just if you're wanting to know, <laughs> for obvious reasons. Now this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military aid died in the desert on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out and had, had been circumcised, but all the people born in the desert during the journey with Egypt had not. The Israelites moved about the desert 40 years until all the men who were of military age, when they left Egypt, had died since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land that they had solemnly promised to their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons and hit their place, and, the, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. So you get the picture. A whole generation grow up, they haven't been circumcised, they don't even know these things, so actually we've got to put things back in place now for them to, to move on to what God has for them. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were all healed. So these guys are in pain, and they're thinking they're going to bring the trumpets because they're going to be in conquest, but they're all sitting there like, oh, what's happening here? Verse nine, then the Lord said to Joshua, today I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, so the place has been called Gilgal to this day. And Gilgal means rolled away, or wheel is turning, or wheel is rolling. It's a turning point. It's a moment in God that actually things are turning for them because God's trying to teach them some lessons. If you wanna take ground, there's some things you need to learn. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, when camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated Passover. Quite interesting about Passover. So remember, Passover is that meal that they had before they came out of Egypt. It is a significant moment. God said, what you must do is take the lamb, kill the lamb, eat all the lamb. And if you stay inside the house when you do that, you will not die. But the firstborn of everything else is gonna die. And, 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 and then he goes on and he says, now what I want you to do from here on in, every year, I want you to celebrate this meal because I never ever want you to forget your great deliverance. And I never ever want you to forget your great God. For 40 years, friends, they haven't had Passover. You've got a people, you've got a generation that's, that's lived in the desert. They've grown up with sand in their teeth. Their fathers have died off. They're standing there. They don't know this stuff. Joshua does know this stuff. And so what he does is now, he's got to, now they've got to do a Passover. But the, but the word of the, the Exodus says this, that before you can have a Passover, you've got to be circumcised. No uncircumcised male can have the Passover. So let's see what happens. The day after the Passover, the very day they'd ate the produce, that day they ate the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. It's amazing. When you step into the ground that God's called you to, there's supernatural provision. Not just manna that God gives, 
It changes to supernatural provision that you have to sow and you have to plant. This God gives to you. When you're in your immaturity, God gives it to you just to eat like a baby. But actually, when you've grown up in him, actually, you've got to plow and you've got to sow and you've got to work and you've got to partner with God as he, as he provides for you. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but they ate the produce of Canaan. Verse 13. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a, with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or are you for our enemies? Now, friends, this, 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 uh, this person here, he, Joshua doesn't know who he is. So let's go for his 14 first. Neither he replied, but as a commander of the army of the Lord, I now come. Then Joshua fell face, to his, uh, face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place you are standing is holy ground. And so Joshua did so. Straight after that in chapter six, God goes and gives Joshua the plans of how to take Jericho. And it's not the plans that he thought. It was they were gonna take that city down by worship. Worship was gonna be the key to the defeat of that enemy. So you have these three significant events. You have, Passover, you have circumcision, you have Passover, and then you have the angel of the Lord. Now, when, when, when Joshua approached the angel of the Lord, it wasn't like the angel of the Lord was standing there with this, like, his sword, like this kind of sword, like, like that wouldn't have been that impressive, you know, it's kind of, now, what happened was, is when he came to the angel of the Lord, he, 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 he was standing there like this. This angel most commentators say it was actually God himself, was standing there with his sword drawn. This figure, this man that he encountered was not a wuss. This man was there with purpose and he encountered this man and he says, whose side are you on? And the man says, actually, I'm not on either side. The question is, Joshua, whose side are you on? Are you on my side? And the question is, often we get that question wrong. We ask, whose side are you on? Actually, the question should be, whose side are you on? Are you on God's side or not? Friends, this is a significant moment that is a taking ground moment that needs three big ideas to happen. And that's what I want to get into this morning before we continue any further. The first thing is this, is that there was a circumcision that had to take place. The circumcision was a sign of the covenant. So the circumcision made this statement to the people of God. You are mine. That's what circumcision meant. It said God's saying to them, you are my people and you will enter into my promises. And so these youngsters now that have grown up in the desert had to learn again that actually we are gods and we live under the promise of God, under the covenantal promise of God. And friends, when we don't allow, in the, in the New Testament, circumcision is one of the heart. And when we don't allow God to get hold of our hearts and to circumcise our hearts, 
we limit ourselves from walking into the promise of God, into the ground that he wants to take and give to us in this next season. You see, the future of God rests on his covenantal promises. And I wanna ask you, Hillside Church, where are your hearts this morning? Are your hearts circumcised? Are your hearts good with God? Are your hearts good with people? Where are your hearts? Because the, the land that God wants to take you in is vast. It's full of giants. It's full of enemies. It's full of fortresses. But that's okay if you've got a circumcised heart. Because you will, you will overcome by the covenantal promises of God. And I want to ask you, Hillside Church, to keep your hearts and to guard your hearts in these days. There are opinions and perspectives on all things in church life. Tyron Daniel always says this. Three things you can be guaranteed of. God loves you, the devil hates you, and everybody else has a plan for your life. <laughs> and as a church leader, that is absolutely true. Everybody's got an opinion, everybody's got a perspective, everybody's got something, which is part of life and part of family. But friends, especially in a difficult transition like this, I'm asking you to guard your hearts and circumcise your heart. Let the Holy Spirit come and circumcise your hearts. Friends, what should be in our hearts is love. And love is to live for or think toward the best of another. That's what Dallas Willard says. His definition of love is to, to live for the best of the other. You know, when God says, I love you, it means he lives and dies for the best of us. And when we say, God, we love you, actually we should be saying, God, we wanna live for your best. What makes you look good? What makes you look amazing? What makes you look profound? Actually, that's how I wanna live. Circumcision is key to this next season. The second thing that they have, that they do, is they do Passover. Passover is that, 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 that celebration where they remember what God has done for them. They remember their coming out. I love, he says, they have rolled away the reproach of, of, of Egypt from you. Friends, coming out is not the full story. Coming out is half the story. The full story is coming out and going in. And so often people stop at coming out and we tell the stories of how bad we were and how incredibly gracious God was to us, but we actually forget to tell the stories of what God continues to do and the future that he has planned for us because our testimony should be last week. It should not shouldn't be 20 years ago, I was a bad guy and God made me a good guy. Actually, this, there's something of a, of a coming out and a going in that is profound for this next season for you as a church. And so they celebrate what God has done and they remember their coming out. And what it tells those young, those young men, those new warriors, those circumcised warriors, I, I think that's why God told them to march and just walk around because they were kind of, they couldn't run around, they were kind of like, Walking around, walking around Jericho. He says to these young guys, he says to them, listen here, no matter what your failure, the Passover is enough. The blood of the lamb is enough. No matter what your failure, 
You can take 40 years of wilderness and God sets it aside by the blood of the Lamb. You can have completely messed your life up and completely messed everything up by the blood of the Lamb. God puts you back into a place to fix it up again. The blood of the Lamb, the Passover Lamb, the Passover is a significant moment for these young warriors. And what it does is it reminds them that the story you're living is not your own. It's actually God's story. You see, Passover was to remind them that actually you're part of God's big story. That started all those years ago. In fact, it started before then, before they, where God put them into Egypt in the, in the first place. They've got to remember that actually God is in this thing. This is God's story. This is not my story. And it shouldn't be saying, God, can you come and bless my story? We should be saying, God, what is your story? What are you doing now? What do we have to put our hands up for? What do we have to put our hearts behind now? Because we want to be part of your story. What he's trying to do, he's trying to get this new generation back into the story that they had been wandering around for 40 years. And it's interwoven with the purposes of God in their lives. And I wanna, and I wanna exhort you, Hillside Church, stay in God's story. Every time you have communion, which is our Passover meal, which is our blood of the lamb, broken body and wine bloodshed, Actually, we remember, God, we're part of your amazing story. It's quite, it's, it's quite incredible when they had Passover, they had to eat the whole lamb. The lamb saved you, but it also gave you strength for the journey. Is your relationship with Jesus one of just saving you, or does it give you strength for the journey ahead? Because actually, salvation is just coming out. Going in is the journey ahead. And the lamb gives you both. And then what he does is he says, when you eat that, I want you to tuck your tunic in, I want you to put your shoes on, and I want you to put a staff on your hand. You know what it reminds them of? It tells them you're part of God's story, and part of that story is you've got to be ready to go. This is not about you. This is about you, Israel, being a light to the nations. This is about you, Israel, being a demonstration to people that don't know God of what it's like to be God's people and what it's like to live like God wants you to live and actually put God on display. Actually, you're a display of my splendor, God says to the people. And you to put your tunic in your, in your, in your, in your belt, you put your shoes on, and you put your, your staff in your hand, and you get ready to go. Hillside Church, I'm gonna exhort you this morning Rely on the blood of Jesus to not only take you out, but to take you in. Rely on the blood of Jesus to send you on your way. God is gonna, you need to, this is a time of tucking your tunic in, of picking up your staff, putting your shoes on. This is not a time to take off your shoes and disengage. This is a time to put your shoes on, put your staff on your hand, tuck it in, eat the whole lamb, friends. Don't eat the parts of Jesus that you like. Eat the whole lamb. Eat all of Jesus. Eat all of what he has for you. And the problem is, is that most all of what he has for us means that actually we've got to change. Because actually his job is to make us more like him. And so we've got to eat all of him. Expect freedom. He reminds these guys that actually you're part of the story. Expect freedom. Expect a journey. Expect tough times. But okay, it's okay. Your hearts are good. 
Jesus is placed. The blood is in place. Whatever you face, it's going to be okay. The third thing, circumcision, Passover, if you want to enter the land, if you want to take ground, the new ground that God has for you with these new donkeys, you need to have a circumcised heart. You need to be under, you have an understanding of the blood of Jesus. And third of all, you need to engage the angel of the Lord. It is incredible that Joshua is 80 years old. He's seen it, done that, got the T-shirt. And at this moment, the moment that God has given him, God has to appear to him and he has to fall flat on his face. Because you see, it doesn't matter how long you've walked with God, you always have an angel of the Lord come to you at some stage, ongoingly. And he starts with the questions. Are you for us or are you for our enemies? And you see the way that the angel answers him, he's asked the wrong question. You see, when we get before the presence of God, the questions are not are you for me or against me. You see the me in there? Actually, no, the question should be, Lord, what must I do for you? And you see, what happens here is he begins to do this and he begins to, to, to engage this, this, this commander. And, and the commander says to him, actually, no, 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 but you've got this wrong. The question is, whose side are you on? The question is, what do you have faithful, Joshua? What have you got faithful? Hillside, what have you got faithful now going forward? Because remember, this guy's not standing with a little button up in his hand. He is standing over this church with a sword in his hand and saying, are you with me? And we come with our puny questions. Are you for me or against me? And he says, no, 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 no. The question is, are you with me? This is the commander. It engages our view of God, friends. It's our father. He's a king. He's not your rich best friend who pays for everything and he doesn't want to cramp your lifestyle. This is a commander of the Lord's armies that comes before you with his sword drawn and says, I've got ground for you to take. Are you willing to take it with me? Are you willing to circumcise your hearts? Are you willing to have faith in the blood of the lamb? Are you willing to have faith in what I have for you, the purpose and the design that I have for you as a nation, as a church? Are you willing to move forward with me? You know, friends, who wants miracles? Who, who like, put up your hand. Who wants to see awesome miracles? You know what the, okay, who's this? Who, another question. Who wants hectically hard, challenging times? You know that miracles and hard, challenging times go together? That's the miracle. That's what's so awesome. You need, but the problem is you're in hard, challenging times. Miracles, friends, comes with hard, challenging times. But it means that actually we have a view of God. We have a view of God who's profoundly have got futures in hand of this church, of Rich and Jill, but futures in God's hands. And he's standing over our futures with his sword drawn. I love what he says to him. He's, and they, uh, th this is the question. I'm jump, jumping ahead of myself here. His response, let me do this. His response, Joshua's response to the angel is this, as he falls on his face in worship. 
You see, the right response to the angel of the Lord is not to be asking questions. Not to, the presence of God is not to be asking questions. It's to allow him to be saying things to us, but for us to be receiving it in a place of worship. That's how Joshua responded. It's amazing how Jacob wrestled with the angel. It's amazing how Moses argued with the angel. Lord, I'm not good enough. But Joshua worshiped God. And you can wrestle and you can argue in this season or you can worship God and allow God to do what he needs to do so that he can have his way in your life and the life of this church. The other good response when you encounter the angel of the Lord is to change your question. Not are you for me, but rather what message do you have for me? Lord, what do you say? What do you say to your servant, he says. And God says to him, take your shoes off, you're standing on holy ground. Take your shoes off, you're standing on holy ground. Isn't it incredible, friends? Our inheritance and our futures are holy ground because God's already there. You see, Joshua thought he was going to defeat Jericho. Joshua didn't overcome Jericho. God overcame Jericho. Joshua thinks he's first in the land. No, no, no. He encounters the presence of the angel of the Lord of God, of hosts. And he realized actually God's already there. And our response is to not ask God, whose side are you on? It's to actually ask God, Lord, what are you saying to me now? What must I do now? And to worship him. Take off your shoes, for this is holy ground. This is a profound moment for this church, friends. And I'd love you to remember that you have a covenantal relationship with God as a church, as individuals, and that those promises abound in that covenant, which is an unbreakable covenant in the blood of Jesus, the perfect lamb. I want you to also remember all the amazing things that God has done for you and that God is not finished with you. This is many, many years of stories still to tell. I want you to remember that actually you've got to get your hearts circumcised and you've got to rely on the blood of Jesus for your future and your inheritance. And I want you to remember standing over your future is an angel with his sword drawn ready to tell you what to do. And your job is to worship him and thank him and be obedient, courageously obedient to what he's going to say to you. Put worship at the center, put God at the center, put worship at the center, and listen like a servant. That's what he says. What, tell me what you're going to say to your servant. Those words are so loaded, friends. In our inheritance, in our future, servant-hearted men and women will fall on their faces and worship, listening to what God says so that they can go and do what he says. It's an incredible picture of what God wants to do with this church and our hearts and your hearts and the lives of men and women around this community that don't know, yet know Jesus, that this community needs to be a display of his splendor, that when they walk in here, they know, I want that God. 
I want the love of that God. I want, I want to know that God. Because if this is what God's like, actually, I want more of that. To Roger, Tanya, and the team that they're going to be leading, I want to read this text and charge you. It's out of Acts. Are you good? Everybody's still very quiet. Acts chapter 20, verse 17. Gee, we also got the same water at our place, at our church. See, this is holy water, eh, Greg? Acts chapter 20, verse 17. From Miletus, Paul sent to, the, to, to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And when they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived among you the whole time. I want to charge this team with this. Live in such a way that people know your lives, can see your lives, and can imitate your faith. I want to charge you with that. I was with you, and from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility. I want to charge you with unbelievable humility. I'm not saying donkey for nothing. No, I'm serious, friends. The church is done with celebrity Christianity and man of God stuff. These are, we are donkeys carrying the glory of God into the presence of the world so that the world can become more like heaven. With great humility and with tears... Although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews, you will be severely tested, I promise you. Paul got tested, I can guarantee you we will. Don't be surprised when you get tested. I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly from house to house. Preach the word of God. One of the great traits and foundations of this church is the teaching of the word of God by this couple. Preach the word of God. Don't preach your clever ideas. Preach the gospel. Preach Jesus. Preach the word of God. And it'll go well with you. And he said anything that's helpful to you publicly and privately in your homes. Get with people in their homes. Get with people in the pulpit. But preach the word of God. I charge you with that. I've declared to you both Jews and Greeks that you must turn to God in repentance and have faith in your Lord Jesus. And now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Great expectations and things for people that want to be in ministry. How I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I might finish the race and complete the task. Your life is, our lives are nothing to us other than the task that God has called us to. And we lay down our lives so that the task can become fulfilled. It's what Jesus did, and I believe it's what he asked his leaders to do. He asked everybody to do, actually. Now I know that none of you among you whom I've gone about preaching the kingdom, pre preach the kingdom of God. Preach the kingdom of God. Don't preach a narrow gospel, preach a wide gospel. This church has been built on the, king, the teaching of the kingdom of God, of the gospel of Jesus, but the gospel of the kingdom. And that's why you do heaven and, heaven and health care stuff. And that's why you do culture of honor. And there's a width and a breadth to the kingdom of the preaching of the kingdom in this church. And I want to charge this team to continue the same.
I declare to you that today I'm innocent of the blood of all men, for I've not hesitated to proclaim the whole will of God, all of the Bible, even the difficult parts. Preach that. Keep watch over yourselves. I want to charge you to keep watch over yourselves, wherever you are. Keep watch over yourselves. Guard your hearts. Keep your hearts. The, the health of the church is dependent on, and so largely dependent on the health of your relationship with your Father in heaven. Watch yourselves. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Keep watch over yourselves and keep watch over all of the flock, not specific groups of the flock, not specific types of the flock, not specific colors of the flock, not specific languages of the flock, all of the flock. All of the flock. Look after all of the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you leaders, overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God. That is quite a thing. Be shepherds of the church of God. Not the church of Richard, not the church of Roger, not the church of Graham, the church of God. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought with his own blood. You see, friends, what this, what this church is, is not a man-made entity. This is a divine ordination by God, by His Spirit, to bring a people together so that God can fall by His Spirit on them. They can become all they're called to be and become the people they're called to be that this church can reach into the world and into the nations and into the community like it's called to be. But friends, that's because the Holy Spirit has made you that, and that's His blood that brought that. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise. So be on your guard, he says. Elders, core team, you guys have got different names for things. Be on your guard. I charge you to keep watch over yourselves, keep watch over this flock, and to be on your guard. And then he goes on and he says, and I commit you to God and to the word of his grace. And I do that this morning. I commit you to God. I commit this church to God and the word of his grace. I commit the Lawton's future, what God has for them, to God and the word of his grace. I wonder if Roger and Tanya wouldn't mind coming up here. What I'd like you to do is to take your shoes off. Like you got socks on, right? Mm. Holy socks. No, whatever, it's fine. Friends, the head of the church is Jesus, and nobody ever surpasses the head of the church, Jesus. But what Jesus does is he entrusts the stewardship of his people to reliable, trusted, worthy leaders that will steward them towards Jesus, not towards themselves, towards Jesus, so that they can be followers of Jesus in everyday life, all of life, not just on Sunday in the four walls of a church, but he does that through leaders, friends. That's why the Bible in, in Hebrews says you must obey your leaders and imitate their faith. He says that also in Hebrews a bit earlier. Leaders in the kingdom of God and the church are absolutely significant. 
And the reason why I've asked them to take off their, their shoes is just like this standing before the angel of the Lord. This is holy. This church is a holy thing. It's God's blood that brought these people. And I tell you what, even standing here this morning, friends, and, and the conversations that we've had, I've had during the week, I haven't really been part of the process of getting here, but I've kind of got back from leave and, and being, being involved this week. Friends, this is absolutely God's thing. You don't put your hands on God's girl. You don't put your hands on God's bride. This is holy. There is a holiness to this moment because as the mantle of leadership for the leadership of this church moves from one couple to another, it's a weight they've got to carry. It's what they call to do. It's holy. It's holy. And I believe God's going to put a sword in their hands today. The sword of the word of God a sword that he will contend for you, they will contend for you, a sword with which they will preach the word of God, a sword that doesn't only stab and doesn't only cut off the wolves of heads, the heads of wolves, but it just gives you a little, that way, boys, this way, guys. It's like a rod. And so, Father, today, actually, can you carry this? Let's do that. <laughs> Let's carry that. Today, Father, we commit this couple to, the, to you, Father, and to the word of your grace. This is no light thing. And Father, as we know that we lead in team, and we never stop leading in team. But Father, you're putting something on this couple from today to lead this community of people. And I pray that you'd anoint them. I pray that you'd empower them. I pray your word would direct them. I pray their hearts would get bigger and fuller. I pray their hearts would be full of kindness. I pray their hearts would be full of joy. But Father, help them to carry the weight of what it means to lead God's people. Now, thank you for that in Jesus' name. Jesus, we recognize that this church is your church. And we, with great soberness, facilitate these moments. I thank you, Father, for everything that Rich and Jill Lawton have poured into this church. I thank you for their lives poured out. I thank you for their sleepless nights. I thank you for their amazing dreams for this church. I thank you for all that you've put on them that this church can be where it is right now. And I pray that the tedders will be able to take that and go to the next level and take more ground. Father, the next generation is not meant to live in little. 
that's meant to live in more. And I thank you for that in your amazing name. I thank you for the Lawtons. I thank you for the profound gift they've been to this church. I thank you for the profound gift they've been to the nations. I thank you for the profound gift they've been to the city. And I pray, Lord God, that you would, you would go before them with your sword drawn and take them into more. And as this church moves into more, everybody moves into more. And I thank you for that in your amazing, amazing name. We honor you, we bless you. Father, circumcise our hearts. Let us appropriate the blood of the lamb in our lives. And let us worship before the angel of the Lord with his sword drawn in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear your story if you've been encouraged by this episode. You can connect with us on Facebook or leave a review on our podcast.